Well, the most decorated Olympian in history is Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps won 28 Olympic gold medals, or not gold, but just medals in general. To accomplish that achievement, the self-mastery that he exhibited was significantly extreme. In his own words, he would say that his only activities during his training were eating appropriately, sleeping, and swimming. Three things. For any high-performance athlete, they are examples of self-mastery regarding their bodies. Now, this morning, when, you, when I introduced to you the concept of self-control or self-mastery, what is the first thing you think of? Self-control, drudgery, <laughs> lack of freedom, strict set of guidelines, external controls on my freedom that no one likes. What I'm about to say to you, however, may be a surprise. When we think about self-control or self-mastery, we often think that it is a form of rigorous behavior modification that is void of all desire. Self-control, however, does not come from external rules and regulation. All forms of self-mastery and self-control are, in fact, driven, driven by our desires. When you think about it, it's fairly intuitive to think about that. So why is it that Michael Phelps or any high-performance athlete disciplines himself to arise early, eat a balanced diet, to do rigorous training, to go to bed early and then wake up and do it all over again? Well, the answer is that there's a greater desire, right? So Michael Phelps, at the point in his life of his Olympic training and his swimming training, had an overarching desire that superseded his desire to be lazy or eat Pop-Tarts or engage in couch surfing. The self-control that high-performance athletes exhibit is ordered by a greater desire. The Apostle Paul illustrated this when he said about athletes, and here's the athletic illustration. Everyone who competes in the games, and this is talking about the Olympic games back in his time, exercises self-control. There's the self-control, but notice why. There's a desire. They do it, and here is the reason they do it, to receive a perishable wreath. So what is it that causes the athlete's self-control? It's desire for that perishable wreath, and we all know what that means. Um, the accolades or the title of the GOAT, the greatest of all time, to get that from the praise of the people. By the way, we should probably modify that acronym to GHOST, the greatest of a short time, because we know, we know that once the praise of men happens for just a little bit, it happens for a little bit of a time until you're done with competing or until somebody else breaks your record. And there lies the problem. When the earthly race is done, or when the praise of man fades, that's the problem. What sustains you then? Listen to Michael Phelps' words. If your whole life was about building up to one race, one performance, or one event, how does that sustain everything afterwards? Did you hear his words? What sustains everything that comes after I've achieved my goal? Eventually, Michael Phelps says this. For me, at least, there was one question that hit me like a ton of bricks. Who was I outside of the swimming pool? Afterwards, the race. 
after the race or whenever someone else breaks your record, what's the point of self-control then? Apparently, the overriding delight of that perishable wreath or the praise of man was not ultimate so that it could not sustain everything that comes afterwards. So that leads to a more significant question. What is the greatest desire that orders and fuels God's people to enjoy sexual desires rightly ordered without sexual immorality? To relish the variety of God-given tasty foods or drink without gluttony or drunkenness? To appreciate the beauty of human form without jealousy? To pursue justice without seeking revenge? To use possessions without greed or hoarding or stinginess? To work hard without becoming a slave to your work? That's the question. What is the ultimate delight that orders all of this and results in self-mastery or self-control? And this morning, yep, that's what we're talking about. Yay! We get to talk about self-control this morning in the midst of all of our summer feasting and hot dogs and hamburgers. We get to talk about that. But I'm not speaking to you about self-control as a form of stoic and legalistic behavior modification. And the opposite of that, which we are seeing lived out in our Western culture today, could be rightly described in terms of a total abandonment of self-control. And friends, if you have eyes to see, if you do have eyes to see what's happening in our society, the supposed freedom extolled has not resulted in freedom at all, but a totalitarianism, enslavement in which everybody must bow the knee to these desires. So if we're not talking about external behavior modification, nor are we talking about following your desires wherever they lead, what are we talking about? It's a greater desire that orders all the other desires and that results in a freeing self-mastery. A greater desire of an imperishable wreath. A delight so delightful that it fuels and fills the human heart, resulting in appropriate mastery of all other desires. The great church father, Augustine, said in his work on the city of God this, it is only when the creator is rightly loved, right there, our desire and our delight. It is only when the creator is rightly delighted in or loved, that is when he is loved for what he is, and when no other creature or thing is loved in place of him, If we want virtue, right there, self-control, a mastery of our, our innate desires, if we want virtue by which we live, so it seems to me that the best definition of virtue is to say it is the ordering of our loves. In other words, self-control is not some stoic practice, but it is the right ordering of our loves, our desires. And again, going back to Paul's illustration, Paul said this, which I did not finish earlier. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it for the desire of a perishable wreath, the accolades, to be the goat, the greatest of all times. But Paul and God's people should be doing it for something greater, imperishable. The greatest desire, the imperishable one, that there is a greater desire and delight that orders Paul and his discipline 
So with that in mind, faith family, please turn with me this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1. That is on page 183 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. We're continuing this morning our series on hope for everyday life, and we're talking specifically this summer in our summer series about hope for fruitful service. And this Sunday we are developing the theme of self-control that leads to fruitful service. And this is what the Word of God says in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything to pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Okay, the divine nature. You're going to to see in just a moment what are characteristics of the divine nature. So when he starts talking about what we should be like, this is the divine nature in just a moment. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, Now here's the list of the divine nature. In your faith, supply to your faith moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, here's our term for the day, self-control. Skip over to verse 8. There's there's more lists that we'll develop throughout the summer. But verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. That's the point of the series. Hope for fruitful service. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're lacking the divine nature as a believer, if you're struggling in some ways, verse 9, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his sins. You've forgotten or you're not applying the gospel to your life in certain ways. In this series, we're, ta- we're taking one of these, supply to your faith, blank, blank, and blank. We're, t- we're talking about supplying to your faith those characteristics and illustrating it today from an Old Testament example. This morning, for the characteristic of self-control, please turn now to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Go to the very front of your Bible now on page 30, okay? and that's in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis speaks about how God created the world, and then through mankind's sin, God's beautiful creation was broken. God, however, is unrelenting in accomplishing His plan. He selects a messed up family. We're all messed up, but He selects a messed up family to bring about His world redemption plan. And that family was childless, Abraham and Sarah, to whom God miraculously brought the child of promise, Isaac. And then when Isaac grew up, he married Rebekah. And then to childless Isaac and Rebekah, they prayed to the Lord for a child, and the Lord gave them twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, later renamed by God Israel, from which we get the nation of Israel, through which God would bring forth his plan, Jacob 
named Israel, bore 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And here's a question for you. Who was Jacob's favorite son? Tell me that. Jacob's favorite son. Say his name. Joseph. All the other non-favored sons of Jacob were jealous of their brother, and they left him for dead one time in a pit until a caravan came by and took Joseph into slavery into Egypt. And Joseph was separated from his family, living as a slave in a foreign land, undergoing severe hardship. So we pick up the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, and here we're going to see a picture of self-control. There's, there's multiple ways you can describe Joseph in this particular narrative, but here we see I think rightly, aptly described, you could see a picture of self-control in the way that Joseph functions. Now, um, I love the Old Testament, and um, I teach the Old Testament in our seminary here, and one of the things about this particular narrative that I have studied and uh, dwelt on quite a bit is that it communicates its message by repetition of concepts and words. Some of them are very apparent in the English translation. Some of them are not. They're only in Hebrew. I'm going to point out to you some of the repetition, and I'm going to have you repeat after me some things, okay? So I know it probably gets monotonous after a while when I say, hey, say this, but do it for a point this morning, okay? So verse 1, chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard. Do you think this is just a random event, that he landed up in one of Pharaoh's chief officer's possession? Do you think that is a random event? Say no. No. He bought him from the Ishmaelites. And in the Hebrew, there is a phrase, from the hand of. Say the hand of. Okay, you're going to see that over and over. Okay. He bought him from the hand of the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now the Lord was, what are the next two words? With Joseph. So he became a successful man. And notice the reason for his success, because the Lord was with him. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was, say the next two words, with him. And how the Lord caused all, say all. You're going to see that repeated. All that he did in his it did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight, and became the person, personal servant, and he made him the overseer of his house. And all, say all, all that he owned, he put in his charge. Let me give you a hint here about this. The Hebrew underneath that is in his hand. Third time you've seen that. And it came about from the time from he made him overseer in his house and over all, say all, all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord was blessing was upon, say the word, all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything. The Hebrew word is all. So he left all he owned in Joseph's hands. And with him there, he did not concern himself anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
We don't often get statements like this in the scripture, but when we do, they are significant. Joseph was a hottie. (laughs) He was a stud muffin. He was a looker. And that has impact on the story that's about to uh, transpire here. And it came about after these events that his master's wife took notice and looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all, say all, all that he owns in my charge. There was no one greater in this house than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? A fascinating statement right there by Joseph. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Notice the self-control, day after day, pressing. Now it happened one day that when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there inside, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, and he left the garment in her hand, in her hand, and fled, and he went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hands, and he fled outside. By the way, who allowed the garment to be in her hand? Who did it? If you're following the repetition here, it has to be God allowed this to happen. Okay? She called to the men of her house and constructs, and she calls it, she, she constructs a lie about Joseph. She tells a lie to her husband Potiphar and jump down to verse 19. Verse 19, when his master heard the words of his wife, when she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master Potiphar took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. No good deed goes unpunished. Maybe Joseph could end up in despair here. And then he was there in jail. He was, he was innocent. But let me ask you a question. Is this random? Is this random? Say no. No. And then the redemptive story repeats itself. It comes back to where it began. But the Lord was, say the next two words, with Joseph. And here is something else. And extends kindness You won't catch this in English, but in Hebrew, that's the word chesed, which is the Lord's, which is the term for covenant faithfulness, the Lord's covenant faithfulness to his people, his grace, his mercy, and gave him favor in the sights of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge right there in his hand. All, say all. All the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever, the word there is, all, was done there. He was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. The word charge there is in his hand. Because the Lord was, say the next two words, with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. A beautiful story. The author is a literary genius as well, trying to convey its truths by the repetition of the concepts there. This morning we're talking about three keys to develop the greatest delight, the greatest delight in God that results in the fruitfulness of self-control. And the first one is this, 
understand the picture of self-control. We need to understand that it's more than just some kind of external behavior modification. There's something going on underneath the heart that results in this picture of Joseph here being one of self-control. Now, the Old Testament narratives are always so rich. And, and I know many of you love the New Testament or love the Proverbs or Psalms more than you love some of these Old Testament narratives. But let me give you a hint about how to read them. Whenever you come to an Old Testament narrative, it always teaches, it will always teach three things. Number one, truths about God. Number two, truths about us, man. And number three, truths about God's redemptive plan with man. So God, man, and his redemptive plan. When you find something about God in the narrative, um, the way that he's functioning or the way that he's responding, then you learn truths about God. When you see the behavior and responses of men, like we do today with Joseph, you learn something about righteous behavior or unrighteous behavior. And most of the time when we approach Old Testament narratives, that's kind of what we park on. Okay, that's called moralizing the text. But there is more going on in the text than just giving us morals. Okay? Now, when you learn something about God's redemptive plan, so God, man, and his plan in these narratives, you learn how God loves his people and how he will redeem them. And if you pull on that thread hard enough, about God's redemptive plan, that's when you precisely find the trajectory that results in Christ. This morning, each sermon points will be focused on one of these, a man, God, and his redemptive plan. In Genesis 39, let's start with man. All interpreters park on Joseph's character in Genesis chapter 39. It's clear, it's evidence and I believe that self-control is an apt enough description of what we see here. We see a portrait or a picture of self-control. And more than that, we see Joseph with rightly ordered desires. And in this story, we see at least three ways Joseph relinquished certain desires because of a greater one. And the first way we see that is with Joseph is foregoing the desire to use his position for the benefits of self, but he st instead he used it for the benefit of others. And this is quite amazing. Not just sexual self-control, but the way that he functioned in life in his position. Think about your work. Think about wherever your position that God has given you. And the story repeats itself twice in the way that Joseph functioned. In the beginning, he is a slave, and yet he does not resign himself to mediocre, half-hearted work. In the end, when he's a prisoner, he does not resign himself to mediocre and half-hearted work. Listen to me here. Character is not situation-specific. Let me repeat that. Character is not situation-specific. The repetition of the picture twice shows us that there was something repeatable about Joseph's character here. His first manner of responding was not a fluke nor an aberration. And in this case, whatever he touched benefited his authorities. 
And these weren't gentle and meek authorities. Pharaoh's official, prison guards. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the roughness and the evil of that environment? All that we said about 1 Peter uh, suffering unjustly. Joseph is there. And he's using his position to benefit others, not himself. Sounds like properly ordered desires. I desire the benefit of other people rather than myself. And that caused him to use his position in a self-controlled fashion. The second way we see that Joseph relinquished certain desires because of a greater desire is this. Forgoing the desire for illicit pleasure, but instead desiring the beauty of God's righteousness. As I mentioned, character is not situation specific. And that applies to Potiphar's wife as well. Potiphar's wife playing the field was probably not just limited to Joseph. How many well-built, handsome slaves came across their paths? Handsome men are dime a dozen. Just look at your pastoral staff. I mean, just look at us. <laughs> no, you're probably saying this. I pay you guys a lot more than a dime, and I have to look at you. <laughs> Let's go back to Joseph for the moment. Are we to assume that Joseph was the first and only one for Potter's first wife? Probably not. Joseph had every reason to give into temptation day after day after day that she was pressing him. This was her established pattern. Joseph could have thought these things. I'm already a slave. Why not grab a little pleasure with my master's wife? He's apparently allowed her to do these kinds of things. He's placed everything in my hand. Surely he's okay with me playing around with this known adulterous wife. I've earned a little bit of pleasure here. I deserve a bit of this kind of pleasure. What was Joseph thinking? And we don't have to wonder. Joseph says this, there's no one greater than this house than I am, and, he, and you're, the master has withheld nothing from me except you. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? What is at the heart of Joseph's desires to not give in. How could Joseph resist? He's young. He's virile. The text says he's a hottie. How could this hottie resist? Does anybody expect him to resist? It's not natural for him to resist. Self-control in this case is not natural. And it is supernatural. The divine nature But Joseph's delight was not first in loving sexual pleasure, but first loving God and the beauty of God's ways. Joseph's delight was in God's covenant of marriage. He respected it. And how God had arranged marriage. Something within him understood that there was a delight far greater than this momentary sexual pleasure His delight was ultimately in God. And when he says, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? That statement right there is a statement of his fear of the Lord. Later, Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon would pick this up and say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and in Joseph. This fear of the Lord manifested in Joseph's life has produced in him wisdom and righteous behavior. Later on, Pharaoh will say, there is no one as wise as Joseph. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is serving him well right now and will serve him well on into the latter parts of the story if you know the story. Joseph loves God most. And thus his passions are rightly ordered. Self-control. Do you, do you see? Do you see it? So it's not just a matter of external enforcement of behavior. It's a matter of rightly ordered desires with a greater one controlling everything else. In time, Joseph will have his own wife and he will enjoy godly sexual pleasure with a clear conscience. The third way that we see Joseph relinquish certain desires for a greater desire is this. Forgoing the desire to despair and instead desire to hope. As I mentioned, Joseph could have responded with, No good deed goes unpunished. Woe is me. Giving in to despair. And that could be one of our greatest temptations when we don't see things working out in this world the way we want to. And a lack of self-control, a lack of self-mastery. I will despair when I don't see things going my way. Joseph could have responded in that way. And the text is silent regarding Joseph's thoughts, but not his actions. We find him continuing to work for the benefit of others as he manifests his faithfulness in prison. And we know, if we read ahead to Genesis chapter 50, by the time all of this is over, it would seem that Joseph was cultivating in some way in his heart, maybe in um, embryonic forms at this moment, but he had hope that God was working all of this out for good because at the end of his life, he said God worked it all out for good. There is something greater going on here. Let's pause. Do you see the picture of self-control that is painted here? Not some kind of external straitjacket that is legalistically placed upon you, but the ordering of desires by a greater desire. A life that foregoes certain desires for a greater one because it's ordered by this greater one. Look at the areas of your life and where you are consistently not succeeding in self-control. Entertainment. I must have entertainment. Sexual pleasure. I must have that exhilaration. Food. I must have my taste buds delighted in, in my stomach, the feeling of fullness. Possessions. I must have security and choices. Relationships. I must maintain my bitterness because of that hurt. Success or work. I must have the praise of man. I must be the goat, the greatest of all time. Without self-control, you think you're free, unhindered to choose all these things. But indeed, we are mastered by them. We're just as enslaved as Joseph physically was. Although you see, Joseph was free. Your desires, your loves, if we're mastered by these lesser desires, are improperly ordered. 
Now let's look at the second key that develops the greatest delight in God. The second key that develops the greatest delight in God. This one is going to be not about man. It's going to be about God himself. And as you see these characteristics of God, how can we not delight in him alone? Number two, believe the power of God's sovereign exercise. And why is he exercising his sovereignty out of love for his people? And I know that point is a mouthful, but every word of it is important. And we see God's power in this narrative to orchestrate the seemingly random details. I pointed this out. Was Joseph being sold to Potiphar, Pharaoh's captain? Was that random? Say no. Was Joseph being delivered into the prison of Pharaoh's prisoners? Random? Say no. Was Potiphar's wife catching Joseph's clothes in her hands? Random. Say no. (laughs) How about this? Is it random that I am standing here as your pastor today preaching? No. Let me tell you a little story. It's not random. There was a young man who loved racing around in cars. This is not me, by the way. There was a young man who loved racing around in cars, and just before his high school graduation in 1962, I was born in 1968, he had a severe car accident. The severe injuries he sustained caused him to lose interest in car racing and pick up other interests like movie making. The movie that he made that became a smash hit was released in 1977. And as a nine-year-old boy, I saw Star Wars. You knew there was going to be a reference to Star Wars here. (laughs) I have to, after I played the Stormtrooper this week in VBS. So uh, as a nine-year-old boy, I I saw Star Wars. From that time on, I wanted to be an astronaut. Ultimately, where do you go to college if you want to be an astronaut? Purdue. And here at Purdue, when I found Faith Church and learned about the sufficient scriptures, I wanted to start building people and not rockets. So, in a, in a real sense, why do I stand before you as a pastor today? Because 60 years ago, George Lucas had a car accident. <laughs> Was that random? No. No. God is orchestrating every detail of our lives. God's powerful hands are sovereignly in control to cause to prosper when appropriate. And the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. Who put everything in Joseph's hands? Say God. God did it. But shall we accept blessing and not challenges? No. God's powerful sovereignty is orchestrating everything, including causing to suffer when strategic. She caught his garment, saying, lie with me. The garment was in her hand. Who placed Joseph's clothes in Potiphar's wife's hands? Was it an accident? Say no. The same powerful God did. And that's the way the narrative is, is construction. You, constructed. You don't see God talking in this narrative, but you see his fingerprints all over it. And this is the incident that would lead to Joseph suffering even more, but strategically. Indeed, this is a rich example of all that we studied in 1 Peter. 
suffering under unjust authority, suffering for righteousness. And Peter had said this, if you remember all the first half of this year, if you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. But Joseph's going into prison. Yes, this doesn't feel blessed. Well, not right now. Yet God's powerful exercise of His sovereign control did all of this, including orchestrating this suffering? Yes! A powerful God that can control circumstances and lead to strategic suffering. Oh man, that can be terrifying. That can be terrifying. Unless the God is not just powerful, but personal. And God exercises His powerful sovereignty personally to be with His people. How many times is that repeated? The Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph at the beginning and the end, twice at the end, when the suffering became even more intense or reaffirmed that God's presence was with him even more because the Lord was with him. And what is more, when he went down to the pit the second time in prison, the Lord was keeping his covenant of grace to keep his covenant with his people, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended, there is the Hebrew term, chesed. Friends, Michael Phelps went through all that he went through with his self-control for what he deemed a great desire, to be the goat, the greatest of all, well, short time. And we know that's not eternal. And Michael Phelps said this, if your whole life was about building up to one race, one performance, or one event, how does that sustain everything that comes afterwards? And the answer is, it does not. However, this powerful God who exercises His control out of love for you and me, He is the greater delight. Hear me on this faith, church. Your possessions... Your earthly pleasures, the praise of man, your food does not have this kind of personal loving power exercised for your benefits. Perishable metals do not make a covenant of grace. If you are disciplining your body for the praise of man, how long does that praise last until somebody else comes along and gets the accolades or until your body deteriorates? If you are exercising your self-control in an area to become wealthy, what good is that when you're in the hole? Let me shout out to all those who participated in BBS this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a blessing to go around in my stormtrooper costume to the degree that I could see through the windows there in my helmet and see all the servants serving. What were you doing this week? You were, forgo- you were foregoing things like this, entertainment in the evening. You were foregoing a little bit of, you could have been online earning extra money. You were foregoing maybe a little bit of sleep. You got up early in the morning to go to work, and then you rushed home to get some quick food, and then you came here. And why were you doing that? In order to serve your God for a greater delight at Vacation Bible School. 
because of the greater delight of your God who saved you and you wanted to be that kind of light to others. Thank you, Faith Church family. The 400 of you who served and then the many who prayed, thank you for doing that. And that leads us here to the third key that develops the greatest delight so that we exhibit self-control. This one is going to be about God's plan. God, man, and his plan. Grasp the pleasure of God's redemptive plan. Here it is. To use an innocent, suffering servant for the saving of many. Friends, Joseph's innocent suffering had a purpose. His mastery of his self for a greater desire, yes, landed him accused of adultery and in a prison. But God orchestrated it all so that Joseph would get to know one of Pharaoh's prisoners, who would later remember Joseph's wisdom in interpreting dreams that Pharaoh would need someday. God wanted Joseph to be ultimately right next to Pharaoh, physically, in proximity to the king of Egypt. There's an entire story here so that one day Joseph would have the authority to save the family, his family, and save the redemptive plan. The innocent sufferer Joseph who went down to the pit twice, who was left for dead once and went down to the prison pits, he didn't stay left for dead, and he did not stay in the pit. He was exalted. Listen to these words and see who it reminds you of. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, this, was, this is his exaltation. There is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You shall be over my house and according to the command... And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have given you the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and pulled it out, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. Every knee will bow. And he set them all over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. The words, I have set you over all the land. Sounds like Pharaoh delivered all into his hands. Kind of sounds like God the Father giving all into Jesus' hands. Bow the knee. Every knee shall bow. Sounds a lot like every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ. And in the end, Joseph, the innocent sufferer, says to his brothers who left him for dead, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the saving of many souls. Here's the point. Joseph exercised self-control because of a greater delight and desire. 
And God used that to allow him to go through innocent suffering to save the family of Israel, which ultimately resulted in Jesus, who was the ultimate innocent sufferer. And Jesus himself exercised self-control in all things. He forewent the pleasures of heaven for a greater desire, the love of his Father and the love of you, faith church. And by innocent suffering, using his position not to benefit himself, but you, forgoing illicit pleasures, if you remember when Satan tempted him, and he landed on righteousness, forgoing forgoing despair, but delighting in God's plan. And by his innocent suffering, he has provided salvation for many. Believer, as Peter has said, if self-control is not being added to your faith, you have forgotten this. (laughs) You have forgotten your former purification. You have forgotten the delight of this God's love for you in the gospel. And your love in that area is disordered. You're loving something else other than the overarching delights. And we would love to help you about that even right now. Please talk to your ABF teacher, your small group, your deacon, your pastor, your service pastor. And let's get that ordered in the right direction. you growing in that. Unbeliever, let me talk to you this morning. If you manifest a modicum of self-control in certain areas, like athletes do, you understand it's only for a perishable reef. There is something earthly that you're desiring that's causing you to manifest that self-control. And when you obtain that, what, in Michael Phelps' words, will sustain you afterwards? Nothing. What will sustain you in eternity? If, on the other hand, you have no self-control, unbeliever, and you know you are enslaved to every passing desire, in both of these examples, will you come by faith today to know Jesus Christ, the one who we sang about today, loving you like he has, and let the delight in his love for you order everything else, which will result in a freeing self-mastery that orders all of our loves appropriately. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that has not left us without pure, solid truth and guidance by which we find our life. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ is our greatest delight and you have delighted in sending him because of your great love for us, which we sang about today. And may our delight in him order everything else in our lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.